This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 97 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. In this episode, I am excited to share an interview I did with Marva Mount, who is a speech-language pathologist who is currently working as a Related Services Director for Imagine Learning. Marva is a nationally recognized speaker on issues regarding public school speech and language services. She's a published chapter author and has been awarded the Hall of Fame Award for Outstanding Contributions to the Field of Speech Pathology by her state organization. And she is also a distinguished fellow in the National Academies of Practice and has served school-age populations from ages 3 to 22 for almost 40 years. So if you are a related service provider, speech pathologist, psychologist, social worker, or really anyone on the IEP team that is providing services for kids, and you want to know how to work more effectively with your team when it comes to communicating with leadership, as well as working with others on your team, you will find this interview very helpful helpful. So I actually found Marva on speechpathology.com. She did a great presentation where she talked about 
just how you can look at the different habits and tendencies of the other people that you're working with so that you can learn how to effectively communicate with them. I think that a lot of times when we as practitioners get frustrated because we feel like we're not getting support, we aren't really sure how to advocate. And a lot of that comes down to effective communication and understanding the way that other people on your team like to receive information. So in this conversation, we do get into some of those personality profiles that are often used in organizations. The specific one that we talk about is the DISC profile. This is often used in corporate settings. I know that within the evidence-based practices community, there are differing opinions on the validity of personality assessments, specifically just the idea that, you know, is our personality permanent? But regardless of that question, it is always helpful to recognize that other people on your team might like to do things a different way than you do. And just having that level of awareness and having tools to do it can be helpful from a practical sense. So I will link to that profile because we do mention that in the conversation. You can check the show notes to understand some of the different types that we reference in this interview. On the topic of collaboration and leadership, before we get going in the interview, I wanted to share a brand new guide that I just created As I talk to more school leaders, it has become very apparent that many school-based mental health, behavior management, and social skills intervention neglect a set of essential skills, that skills being executive functioning. So this is obviously not the fault of the teachers or the therapists. Really, it's that the people who are supporting kids need accurate information and support in order to be able to support kids. So I aim to solve this problem with this free guide. So inside this free guide, you will learn how to improve students' social relationships and their ability to regulate their emotions and how to do this when behavior management and social skills groups aren't working. I also talk about why talk therapy falls short for many kids with anxiety and what to do instead. I want to be clear that I am not making a blanket statement and saying that talk therapy is never appropriate, but I am saying when executive functioning issues are at play, talk therapy is not going to be an adequate solution. We need to have supports in context in order for that to be effective, and if we don't, those issues with anxiety that stem from executive functioning issues are not going to get better. In this guide, I also share how school clinicians can support mental health, resilience, and independence in kids, and how they can lead their teams in doing this, even if they aren't in a traditional leadership role. And I share in this guide what everyone's role is in supporting executive functioning, specifically in the school setting, but also across the board, because I do address how parents and students can play a role as well. So to download this free guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash efschools. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash efschools. So now, please enjoy this interview with Marva Mao. Today, I am joined by Marva Mount. So thank you so much for being here with me today. It's an honor to be with you. I'm excited. 
So I thought we could start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. So, um, you know, what you do and how you got to where you are right now. Okay. Well, I've been a speech language pathologist for over 35 years and um, I've had lots of aspirations in my life in terms of being a speech language pathologist, but also dabbling in a couple of other things like um, special education administration it has a, been a big part of my career. Um, I've done a lot of um, presentations over the last 20 years, um, and I have found that teaching is a, also a love of mine, and I guess it is of every SLP, because we do a lot of that in therapy yeah. every day, regardless of our um, work setting. Um, currently, I'm uh, a related service director for an educational company, um, and we focus on online educational products and online related services. And um, it's it's been a wild ride. It's, I can't believe it's been as long as it's been, but I still love being an SLP as much as I did the very first day I started. So it's it's been a great career for me. Wow. So how long have you been in the current position that you're in? Um, about a year and a half. Okay, great. So how did you how did you get into that role? Like how did that evolve for you? Well, I had done um a lot of um staffing, mentoring, um kind of the the whole gamut of um trainings and mentorships and things like that um for a number of years, almost 20 years. And um I always like to keep my hand in things that I'm not as familiar with and I always mm-hmm. like to learn new skills. And when this position um became known to me, I thought, well let me investigate this and see what this would be like. Um, and it turns out I had really great conversations with some individuals, um, people who have mentored me. I talked to quite a few of them. Um, do you think this would be a good fit for me? Do you think I know enough <laughs> to do mm-hmm. this? Um, and start an online program. And, um, yeah, that, that's what landed me here. I just, I love to do new things. I always like to be learning something different. Um, and I just kind of felt like I'd done what I had been doing for a really long time. And I thought I might want to change and do something else. I think it's a really important thing for us to continue to grow and um, step out of that comfort zone that we love to live in. Um, and I, I definitely have done that with this position. So what do you actually do? I mean, if you were to kind of describe your job to someone. Okay. Um, current, well, when I came to work for this company, um, Imagine Learning, we, um, only did educational products and we did provide some online services in terms of, um, tutoring, um, teachers to fill a teacher shortage. The district had that. Um, but what we had heard from a lot of our, um, district partners and other partners that we were in conversations with, we had heard through marketing research that there were lots of districts that were looking for some type of an online related service provider and they really hadn't been able to find someone, mm-hmm. um, that worked well with their, their kind of, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for. I'm having word finding problems, <laughs> uh, that, that sort of worked with their, um, 
vision in alignment for their district. Um, and because they knew of us and they knew that we did great work with educational products, they started suggesting that perhaps Imagine Learning might want to look at some related services, doing some of those things online. Um, so the job was posted. I came on board. Um, we put together an online platform. We um, decided what was important to us as a company in terms of meeting the needs of students. And um, we just developed the program um, and started it at the beginning of this school year. We did a couple of pilots last year across the United States. But um, primarily, it's a brand new program for the company. It's a brand new program to me. Um, and I've just been thrilled with the outcome, uh, particularly student progress that we've been seeing. So um, it's, it's been a great experience so far. So really, it's about coordinating all of those related services for kids. Correct. 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 And adding to our repertoire of related services, we started with speech um, Mm -hmm. and we're looking to branch out in a lot of other areas, Um, occupational therapy, um, some social emotional counseling, um, those types of services. That's so interesting how you were kind of already doing some of these jobs or you you were saying that you had done a lot of trainings and things like that. So that's when you had a position as an SLP. Correct. Yeah. So you were kind of branching out and sort of creating different career experiences for yourself before you officially had a job title where it was, you know, spelled out for you. That's right. That's right. And most of my career has been um, having an idea and taking that idea to someone. Um, Mm -hmm. And that idea then becomes uh, a blossoming flower and you figure out, oh, if you bring the idea, you have to make the idea work. So um, a lot of it is just being, I think, the outspoken one in the group and and discussing, you know what, the way we do this is not very streamlined and it's obviously also not very productive. So how could we make this thing better? Um, And, and that's kind of what's led to a lot of the roles I've had in my lifetime. Yeah, that is really interesting, because I know that a lot of, of SLPs and other related service providers, I think that I could probably, you know, say as a collective group, there are a lot of times where we feel like things are just enforced down upon us. And I know that when I talk to a lot of the therapists that I mentor, it's, you know, my principal wants me to do things this way, or my my director is saying, this is the way that we do things around here. And I always wonder, what, is it really true that they have to do those things that way? Mm-hmm. I mean, what has been your experience when, you know, uh, an administrator is saying, this is the way that we do things, and you know, that maybe there's a better way just because you have a different perspective? I think that's when your ability to communicate well comes into play and you have to diplomatically suggest that maybe just because we do it this way doesn't mean it's the best way. Mm -hmm. Um, And from a therapist perspective in particular, are we doing what's best for those that we serve? Um, And are we meeting the letter of our ethical requirements in terms of are we doing the best possible thing that we can for each one of our patients, our students, our clients, regardless of where you might be working? Um, And I 
I am just not one of those individuals who loves to hear that statement, but that's how we do it. Yeah, um, I do, yeah. I do, I do believe that's a killer for most organizations. Those really? few words will stagnate and kill a program, um, or will cause a lot of grief and turmoil in a program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just learned early on, if you have a good idea, it's only a good idea if you voice it and it's only a good idea if you bring it to someone's attention. Maybe you can't do it by yourself, but there's definitely someone who can help you bring that, that vision that you have to fruition. So, um, it's, it's always a good idea to speak up and it's much, I think, more productive to use your energy toward that yeah. than complaining about something that you feel like is being forced upon you. As you said, um, yeah. you definitely have to make your own progress sometimes and you don't, just really can't be afraid to do that. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's a lot of situations where I I kind of wonder, you know, I I bet I bet the administrator or whoever it is that's saying that you have to do it that way, you know, I I I'm always willing to guess or I'm always willing to give that person the benefit of the doubt that maybe they just don't know another way, maybe mm-hmm. they just, you know, they're busy and they haven't you know, they don't have the background that you do. That happened a lot when I was in, so when I was in a district that, you know, there were, with speech specifically, it was a lot of times they would say, here's how we're doing things, special ed procedure. Like they had some way that they wanted us to communicate before the IEP meetings that it took a lot of time and energy. And if you had you know, 50 to 80 kids on your caseload. It didn't make sense for you to be doing all of these steps for every kid, especially when you have those articulation cases where you could probably condense it a little bit, still keep everyone happy, still make the parents feel like they're included, but you could condense it a little bit rather than having to go through the whole process. The administrators were making the decision based on kids who maybe they were in a self-contained program and they needed all of that extensive process. So there were a lot of times where we had to be like, okay, well, what about this? We had to come come with an idea rather than just saying, well, that doesn't work for us. And you, we, we almost trained our administrators to be like, okay, here's how we do it. Okay, speech, How how do you think we should do it? And they almost got used to that. Because they knew we would come to them with the solution instead of just, you know, complaining. And in the the spirit of compromise, right? Like there has to be compromise from everyone, not just one side. And everybody needs to walk away from those situations feeling like they've kind of gained something or gotten something for their efforts. Um, That's what makes human beings tick. That's what makes human Mm -hmm. beings feel productive. So um, if you, but if you don't say anything and you just go along with things, that is just, I think that's what's wrong with a lot of professions right now and people that yeah. are burned out and people mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not fun anymore. Um, sometimes it's not fun because there are, there's so much minutia there that you do not need to worry about. Yeah. Um, and you really, you have to speak up and, and be the kind of be the force of change. Um, yeah. And that's very intimidating, especially if you're new to something. It is. I think with the with the burnout too, that so a lot of people who are trying to get out of burnout, usually the solution is, well, you need to do more self-care. You need to take a break and do restorative activities. And all of that's great. You should absolutely make sure that you're rested and all of those things. But I think that sometimes it's less of an issue 
of needing self-care and more of an engagement issue and more of a, you know, we like to do work and we like to be actively engaged in something Mm -hmm. when we feel like we're making a difference. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, sometimes it's a boredom issue where you're not going to feel motivated to do something if you feel like you're not seeing an impact of what you're doing. You know, it's not. I agree wholeheartedly with that statement. Yeah. So I want to get burnout can be fueled by pessimism too, a little bit. You know, I mean, if you if you just find yourself in that perpetual moment of being a pessimist, there is nothing that can bring you out of that. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I think that masquerades as burnout, but I don't really think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, just switching the way that you think about things. I think that the way that you surround yourself with people that can make a big difference too. You sure. know, if you get into a community where everybody's complaining versus if you're hanging around with people who are, you know, being proactive and thinking about ways that they can solve problems, it definitely rubs off on you. Absolutely. I wanted to get into some specific examples, but I'm just curious as you have figured out how to present your ideas, what mistakes have you made and what has worked? Oh my goodness. Well, if I told you about every mistake I'd ever made, we would be here for a really long time. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest mistake I've, I've made in my choices sometimes is that I have a tendency to take things too personally Mm-hmm. And I have a tendency to sort of retreat within myself instead of looking at a big picture. Um, and probably the majority of the mistakes I've made have been because of that, that I have been so focused on my own needs or my own feelings mm-hmm. or uh, my own desires that I fail to see all parts of the equation. Um, my successes have been when I have been able to stand outside of myself. And I think that that comes with age and experience. That's probably one of the only great things about gray hair is that you do <laughs> learn, you do learn those kind of things. Um, but I think, uh, what I've learned is that everybody has a great idea and it's all in the presentation. It's how you, um, actively listen. It's how you actively engage people in problem solving. Um, and how you keep your own kind of social, emotional kind of things intact mm-hmm. so that you don't overreact. Um, because we all know we can do a million things wonderfully, but we do that one thing that people are not really happy with. And that seems to be what people walk away thinking yeah. about us. So I think it's really important to see all sides of something and how things can be beneficial to everyone in a group, not just yourself. Um, and like I said, I think that definitely comes with um, professional maturity and just aging, you know, things are less important to you. You're more patient um, and you have a better understanding of others' feelings instead of just focusing on your own. Yeah. I think that what can be really challenging there for the, you know, professionals, clinicians, and, you know, everybody is that a lot of times they they feel like they're advocating for their students, but to the person that they're talking to, it still kind of feels like they're advocating for themselves. So, you know, an example is um, if you go to an administrator and it's like, I need this for my program for my students, they're thinking of it from the perspective of, I have 
20 other things that somebody asked me to do today that's for their program. So yes, you know, we get frustrated because it's, well, it's about the students, but it doesn't necessarily come across that way to the person you're asking because they have Mm -hmm. so many different things that people are asking of them. They probably are used to people getting upset with them because they have to tell people no all the time. And so, yeah, like it doesn't, it feels like we're asking for someone else, but it doesn't necessarily come across that way. <laughs> right. And I do believe that you have to plan things well in order for things to work. Um, that, you know, I, I, as an administrator myself, um, for several years in a lot of different positions, I learned that it's a lot about the timing when you decide to talk to someone. Um, typically we, tend to wait until we've kind of had it and we're done and we want to just go and just dump all of that on someone else because we're just over it. Um, And I don't think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I feel like, you know, you can't just kind of um, take a moment here or a moment there. You have to sort of start with the end in mind and then work backward. Yeah. Um, okay, think about what my big master plan is. Okay, think about what that is. Think about what that looks like. Think about what that would mean to your students. But don't start with, okay, well, they need this and this and this and this, because that kind of sounds like a laundry list of all the things you're unhappy about. Yeah. Um, but if you start with the end in mind, this is what I want to work toward. And these are the things that I think would help us get there. I think that's far more beneficial to everyone than just saying, you know what, here's a laundry list of things I need, you know, take it or leave it. This is what has to happen in order for my kids to be successful. Mm-hmm. I don't think you win friends that way for the very <sighs> reasons that you mentioned. They yeah. do have a lot of staff that demand things of them and they have bosses too that they have to answer to. Yes. Um, so I, th- going back to that big picture thing, you have to understand, okay, I'm a really small fish in a great big pond right here, but what can I do that will make the biggest wave in the water? Mm-hmm. And I do think that's figure out what you want out of this whole thing, start there and work backward. Um, yeah. That's always worked really well for me. I think that's really interesting that you point out how they have a boss too, because we forget about that. Everybody thinks that the other person that's making the decision has all the power. I remember sitting in a meeting with, um, it was all the administrators in our district. We were a small district, so we could get a meeting with the superintendent and all the principals. And we wanted some changes to uh, the speech services. And I remember the superintendent sitting there saying, you know, like, I support you. I understand why you want what you want, but I have to get board approval. I can't make any definitive decision until we get board approval or even the administrator saying, you know, going to my building principal saying like, here's, here's what I am wanting. And that her, you know, her or him, whoever it was saying, okay, I support you and I want to help you, but I have to go to the superintendent or the curriculum director, and then they have to get board approval. But then the board's thinking about what's the funding situation from the state. Like there's all these different levels that we forget about where it's, you know, everybody has a boss. (laughs) And everything runs downhill, right? It all rolls downhill. Um, And you know, 
from your personal standpoint, how long it took you to have a conversation with that particular person that you're in front of. Yeah. Um, and think about how long it's going to take that to happen. So when I say begin with the end in mind, begin with the expectation that this is not going to be an overnight fix, especially mm-hmm. not in bureaucratic situations like schools or hospitals or where there are lots of levels of management that just makes it more and more complex and complicated. So you really have to have your ducks in a row before you start those kind of conversations and you have to pack your patience because it's going to take some time. It didn't take it overnight to get the way it is and it's not going to change overnight either. Yeah, that's, I've heard that one a lot and that is, that is sound advice. (laughs) (laughs) We don't always adhere to it though. (laughs) No, well, you know, I, I get it. It's frustrating. You know, I, I, um, I think that if you're a person who does decide to go present these things to your administration, you do have a healthy level of impatience because, you know, if you have enough, you have to have enough impatience to motivate you to do something and not wait for it to happen from the top. So that is right. Some you is, are so some right. <laughs> some is good. Um, yeah. It's like all things you have to balance it out. Right. Like yeah. I'm, I think all or most speech language pathologists are, of the same personality type, right? Like we want it done. We want it taken care of. We want it done with perfection. We want it off our plate. We want to move on to the next thing. Um, and I think that that's a personality that drives us as professionals because we have so many things that we have to take care of regardless of the setting that we're in. And our our therapy um, world is so vast. There's so many things we have to know about. So um, I think we're definitely get it done kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need, we need to recognize that that personality type does not always job well with the setting that you're working in. Um, I think that's important to kind of figure out also. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is sort of the, um, I guess, typical common profile. And I've seen that at <laughs> school service personnel as well, but I know that there are definitely, there's whole Facebook groups for introverted SLPs and, um, you know. And I'm so glad to know them. I'm so glad to know them. And I'm also so glad to learn from them because there's so many things that they can offer that I need to understand and implement and incorporate in the things that I do. Um, and I think difference is what makes the world go round. So I'm, I'm so happy that they sort of join together. So now that they can help me in some of those areas where I really need to chill out a little bit, or I need to not be so perfectionistic about things. And, and those groups have been very helpful to me. Yeah. I mean, I think anything I, um, and I want to get into this topic next, actually, but I know that there, among the evidence-based practice community, there's a lot of question about the concept of personality profiles, like there's the DISC, there's the Big Five, there's the Myers-Briggs, and, you know, there's the question as to, is that really a thing? Are they scientifically validated? But I, what I do think, and what I, my impression of them is, okay, so maybe there's not learning styles, and maybe you're personality isn't necessarily permanent, but we for sure know that people have different habits and tendencies. So at the very least, something like the DISC profile can show you where you are right now, even if it's not something that you can say, okay, this is, you know, permanently what I am and can also just help you to be a little bit more aware of the fact that 
somebody else that you might be working with might have different habits and tendencies that you might need to consider. You know, again, even if regardless of whether, you know, the what the research says about those tests, I think that they can be useful to that extent. Um, well, hu- humans are so complex, right? Yeah. So we all have many personalities within us, depending on the situation that we're in. Um, and I think that those, um, what I love about those types of personality profiles is that it just gives you a better understanding of kind of how you function and operate. Um, and I think all of them sort of play in that area of emotional intelligence, um, yeah. And without going quite as far as some of those emotional intelligence aspects go, but I think they all have that component. And it's it's just trying to get you to understand this is how you react versus this is how your reaction may affect someone else mm-hmm. versus this is how this may play out if you continue down this road. I think it's all about understanding yourself and being okay with who you are, but also understanding sometimes modifications are necessary yeah. um, depending on what your situation is at the moment. I wanted to take a quick break here and mention something specific that you can do to advocate for your students as well as take on a leadership role on your IEP team. If you are a related service provider, you likely have students who appear to be disengaged, not motivated, who tend to struggle to get their assignments completed both in class and with homework, and often avoid some of the most challenging tasks that they need to do in order to actually learn new skills and get more confident. So many times these issues are related to executive functioning. Oftentimes these students get labeled as lazy or defiant, but really it stems from a much deeper issue. There's a lot of anxiety there because they are not sure how to visualize the steps that they need to do in order to complete tasks. And this comes across as behavior issues. It causes issues with social relationships, and it can have a huge impact on students' self-esteem and mental health. So many times schools think that they need to do all kinds of positive reinforcement, behavior management, talk therapy. Some of those things can be appropriate in certain situations, but if we want students to be more resilient and build their executive functioning skills, we have to actually teach them executive functioning skills. And everyone who interacts with kids on a daily basis plays a critical role in this process. That's why I've created a free executive functioning implementation guide to outline everyone's role in this process. This includes the professional's roles in the school setting, as well as what students and parents can do. So if you are a related service provider and you want to help your team get on the right track so that you can support your caseload, definitely check out my executive functioning guide. To download that guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash EF schools. So you mentioned in, uh, I watched your presentation on speechpathology.com and you talked a little bit about the DISC profile. Can you share a little bit about how that's been useful to you in working with maybe people that you mentor, therapists, or even working with the leadership that you report to? I think the the best thing that I get out of those types of of situations is self-awareness. 
because I'm not always aware of how someone else's behavior is affecting me, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the moment. Uh, so what I love about those is that it's, it kind of tells you what your strengths are. It tells you a little bit about maybe some of your challenge areas that you might mm-hmm. want to investigate. Um, and then it helps you marry those challenges that you might have with all those positive things that you might possess. Um, and you're able to sort of craft a, an opinion of how you want to respond to someone based on some of those same characteristics that you might be seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, a classic example of that comes to mind, opposites attract, not always, right? Yeah. So if you are a, a, a very sort of rigid personality or you're a a blue or an orange or whatever, you have more um, discipline and drive than, say, compassion and care, um, you're going to want to kind of modify your response to a person that might not hold those as closely as you do, and they may be looking for you to be more compassionate and caring. You have to soften yourself. So a lot of those personality tests, I think, are designed so that you just get a better understanding of the inner you and how you need to modify your own behavior and watch how your behavior affects other people. Um, cause we're not all the same, which is fabulous. If everybody was like me, I'd go nuts. But, yeah. um, I think we all have such great, um, aspects of our personality that if you're very familiar with all different types of personalities you might encounter, you're more able to adapt and conform to whatever your situation might look like. And that alleviates stress, that alleviates anxiety, um, that may make you less of an introvert because you feel a little bit more confident in your ability mm-hmm. to, to tackle some of these big problems or some of these challenges you might be facing. I, yeah, I I think that's a great point because I'm definitely an introvert. I am definitely shy, but if I have a plan and I've gained more experience and skills, I'm much more confident in those situations. So I think it can be easy to say things like, well, I'm introverted, so I can't go do presentations or I can't do this or I can't do that. I think it's fine to acknowledge that maybe you like to recharge by yourself, but not necessarily let it hold you back from doing things that could be really beneficial to you or might actually reduce anxiety, you know, help you be more successful, help more people, all those things. I, so when we're talking to leaders, and this is obviously a a generalization, but probably a trend, I guess, Mm -hmm. that a lot Mm -hmm. of leaders tend to have, tend to be D's on the DISC profile. And I know that you mentioned that some of the leaders are are D's. (laughs) Yes. And then sometimes people who are in more of a technical role, whether it be a clinical role, and I think that this happens in the corporate setting too, where there's you know, the directors and the managers, and then there's the people in the technical roles that are more about detail. Um, mm-hmm. What what kind of challenges and experiences have you had in working with leadership that has more of a, a D profile? And can you explain what that is first before we get into? Um, the Ds are direct mm-hmm. to the point. Um, they do not like a lot of chatter. They don't, and I say they don't like, they, they don't, um, they're not amused with that, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, they're, they want bare bones. They want to be to the point. Um, and if you're a chatty Kathy, sometimes you might get off on the wrong foot with them because they feel like you're wasting time or they feel yeah. like you might, you might not be, um, 
serious enough about the conversation that you're having because they view this chatter and this excessive talking um, as just a waste of time. Like, mm-hmm. let's get down to the brass tacks. Let's figure out what's happening. Let's figure out what you want. Um, I had a boss one time that was definitely a D and he would always say to me, Marvin, just spit it out. Just tell me what you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I had to learn with him. Oh, I know I'm probably only going to have about five minutes for this conversation. And so I have to make those five minutes count. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't, hadn't realized that about him, I don't think we would have been able to have a good relationship because I would have annoyed him as much as he annoyed me because we're very different ends of the spectrum in terms of our personality types. Um, So I, I think that knowing that about someone and, you know, maybe you don't know it initially, maybe you come to that realization after you've had a few interactions or Mm -hmm. encounters and you realize, wow, he does not like the fact that I like to explain things excessively. Um, And he may be a person or she may be a person. And I laugh when I say he, because the majority of my bosses that have been that way have been male, not female, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is also very interesting. Um, but I learned bullet points. I learned short and sweet. I learned, I start with the bottom line. This is what I want. And then I say, this is why, um, or this is why I think this is important that we investigate it. Um, but you have to keep it short and sweet or you lose the ability to get what you want. And I, I really think that that's an important aspect of personality that we all need to know about. We need to be able to recognize those things. Yeah. I think that with, um, and I don't, again, everybody, there are probably a lot of SLPs. I'm definitely a D. Um, I have worked with administrators who are Ds, but I know that I have a lot of friends who are, you know, that that like to give a lot of detail. And so I I like to give detail when I think that it relates to the outcome. You know, I'm mm-hmm. always like, okay, what's What's the outcome? But I can kind of go back and forth. And I think that, um, like you were saying before, how you when you have your laundry list versus here's the thing that I want and here's why, that it can be a lot. It can be beneficial if you have somebody who really wants you to get to the bottom line. I think with D personalities, you have to um, sort of plan the additional explanation for another time. Yeah. Um, I don't think you ever start with the D with a lot of information because I think that puts you um, on unequal footing with them in terms of what they're going to allow. And by allow, I mean kind of tolerate. So, you know, oh, you want to have a meeting with me again? Nope, I'm always going to be busy because you yeah. annoy me. You talk too much. Um, I do I do think that you have to save like all the extraneous information that you may need to provide, I think you need to save that for a different time. Um, and that goes right back to, I think, one of my biggest things I've learned is sometimes you have to start with what you want and work backward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that gives you an opportunity to see how much information they need and in what area, because maybe you think they need all the information, but maybe they do not. So yeah. um, just picking up on those personality cues sometimes I think is really important too. Mm-hmm. And being confident enough in your ability to kind of gauge people's personality to be able to do that. I think a lot of it is confidence. I've noticed that. So I had somebody who that I worked with who was a D and I could tell by the way he ran meetings that he was in just the comments he made. So if we had a staff meeting and it was scheduled from three to three thirty at three twenty nine, we were wrapping it up and it was just very to the point. And 
when I would do my, he was the one who evaluated me and you know how extensive evaluations can be. Right. And it was like five minutes in and out. And I'm like, this is, this is awesome. You know, (laughs) (laughs) but he even made, I remember, you know, just there was There were some other people who would do trainings in the district who, you know, you know, sometimes when you're doing a training and it's like, here's this point I want to make. And then here's a story to kind of elaborate. And a lot of people really like that, especially if you are more of that. um, I don't don't know exactly the colors, but maybe if you're you're an I and you're more of the influencer connector kind of a person and, and you like more of the emotional backstory. A lot of people mm-hmm. like that. It's they find it engaging. But I remember, you know, some of the other administrators who are a little more direct are like, I can't stand that training. Just get to the point. Tell me what I need and let's get out of here and go and do the work. Yeah, those people are definitely not eyes. They're definitely yeah. not eyes or S's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I guess to give people context if they don't know what we're talking about, um, if you're not familiar. So I is the kind influencer. Of the influencer connector. Uh-huh. Um, S is the structured, process-oriented. Right. We, and then, we, we want to make sure everybody understands if we're steady. <laughs> yeah. And then C is the conscientiousness, more risk-averse. Um, right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I want to be a, I want to be the C. I'm not the C yet, but I, I'm hoping before I die, I have more C tendencies. <laughs> I'd like to be less risk averse. <laughs> you know, I'm a, this sounds kind of backwards, but the last time I took the disc profile, I was a D and a C. I mean, really? doesn't that sound kind of yeah. backwards? Like counterintuitive maybe. But yeah. Well, that... so my theory is that if I know that my ducks are in a row, I like to get my ducks in a row so I can go. And mm-hmm. then my D comes out. But if I feel like I'm not prepared and I haven't front loaded all the information, that's when I get scared and I don't want to go forward. And so I know that, you know, maybe I have more information that I need, or maybe I have some more skills and experience that I need to kind of bring out my more ambitious qualities. Those are, that's my right. theory. <laughs> well, and that may boost your confidence, yeah. right? Like utilizing that may boost your confidence a little bit. I think it's all about confidence, regardless of of how you feel you rate on any type of profile. Uh-huh. I think it's how confident am I that I'm going to be able to get this done and how okay am I with maybe failing the first go round, right? Um, because there's a lot of things in life that are worse than failure. Failure is when we learn a lot of things, but that's tough. That's a a tough situation to wrap your mind around. Uh, We don't like failure. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is, it's, it's good to know that you, you know, I guess the origin of why you're holding back on certain things. I think that a lot of people are afraid of presenting their ideas, or they feel like they need to ask for permission, but maybe there's ways that they can try to present their ideas to other people that are less intimidating. Like maybe if going to the superintendent sounds really scary, go to the special ed teacher that you already have a relationship with and try it with absolutely, And then try it with, you know, somebody who you don't know as well. And then maybe try your building principle and go from there. And then Mm -hmm. you can you're still going to feel uncomfortable, but at least it's, it's maybe, um, you know, jumping off the high dive instead of, you know, jumping off a cliff or something. Well, the best, the best advice I can give is discomfort never killed anyone. I mean, it really never did. And you get over it so fast. 
um, that you don't remember it. And when things work out really great, all of that discomfort is canceled out. So if you're, if you're held back by a fear or I'm going to fail or, oh, this is going to be so embarrassing. I can tell you no one ever died from it. If they would have, I would have died years ago. Um, you just, <laughs> yeah. you just have to sort of say, you know what? It's not the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I have those conversations with myself a lot, especially when I'm trying to do uh, something that's pretty major. Um, I always do the, what's the worst case scenario? What's the worst mm-hmm. thing that can happen? Um well, I can get embarrassed probably, or, you know, people will think I'm not very smart or whatever that is. It has not been my experience that people ever jump to, oh, she's not smart. It's like, okay, that was kind of not a good idea. She didn't do her homework. Um, and, but I get over that, right? We all get over that. We don't, um, we don't have any residual effects from failure. <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, I think the interesting thing is that we tend to think that when we ask for something, it's the biggest deal in the world and other people just move on with their day and don't even think about it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not earth shattering. Usually it is to us, right? Because it's something that's so important to us. Um, That's another great thing to know about yourself though. Okay. So you're going in, here's what you want at the end. What are you willing to compromise and receive uh, you're not always going to get it all. And another little trick I learned early on is go big, ask for a lot of things so that when you do get what you get, you don't feel like you lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that's kind of a good, um, rule of thumb that you learn only with age, I think, is that, um, you know, sometimes, Hey, just throw it all out there. See what they say. The worst they can say is no. Um, and that's why I think it's really important. Plan it all the way to the end. See what the end looks like for you so that you know what you're willing to accept. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you have to walk away with nothing and you have to figure out how to go back at it. So don't, don't give up. Sometimes yeah. that's the biggest thing. Don't give up. With the, the whole idea of trying to get a lot of things, I think what, you know, the way that I've heard it framed is, get the reps in or swing the bat every day or do, you know, try it every day and know that the first 10 times you might not get anything, but, but just keep going with it. Or uh, right. the other thing that I heard that was really helpful with the whole networking and asking for things or mm-hmm. just whatever it is, just drop the deposit and move on. Like do the mm-hmm. thing that you said you were going to do that's in your control and then move on without getting too you know, emotional or attached to what the outcome might be of that. Just one thing that you're doing right there. Right. And be prepared to pivot there. There, you know, have several different options available. Um, and maybe don't present all those options because you need some negotiating power sometimes, I think, but yeah. just understand that there's an array of options. It can't just be one thing because in all likelihood, you will not walk away with that one thing. You will mm-hmm. not. Um, yeah. So be very open to additional ways for a plan to play out. Because mm-hmm. um, they don't always play out the way we want them to. And there's usually a really good reason for that. We just don't know it at the time. And there might be another way that is acceptable, good enough, or maybe even better. Than exactly. What exactly. And that's why putting so many heads together is so much better than trying to do tackle everything yourself, because mm-hmm. your idea may spark something 
with the person that you're asking for um, that particular thing from, they may have an idea that you never even thought about before. And that's why I love serving on committees of all kinds, state level, national level, because you'll have this idea and then that will prompt someone else to have another idea. And then before you're at the end of that committee meeting or whatever it is you're volunteering for, you have come up with such a great plan because there were so many great ideas that can be incorporated, not just one. So yeah. I, I love that idea of of being okay to throw things out there, even though yours may not be chosen. It may stimulate a lot of conversation that might come up with an even better plan. Um, and I think we all need to be open to that and not be that as failure. That's not failure. That's actually a great win if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? So you mentioned a bunch of different things. So speaking engagements and teaching, getting involved at the, at committees at the state and national level. So what recommendations do you have for clinicians who want to get involved in some of those things? What are some places or where are some places they can go to do that? Um, state organizations are a great place to start and they always need volunteers. They need people that are enthusiastic about our profession. Um, they need people that are willing to give of their time. And I think as we, um, go through the, the whole training process of being a speech language pathologist or audiologist, we have so many people that mentor us and so many people that we, um, get such great benefit from, we need to kind of give that back, right? Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. if you're interested in doing something, start small. It doesn't have to be a great big thing. You don't have to chair a committee right off the bat. Just um, kind of start listening at the state level in terms of things that are going on. What are your state organization's initiatives? And that's in everything, not just your state speech and language and hearing association um, agencies, but maybe you want to volunteer for the food bank or maybe you want to volunteer mm-hmm. for, you know, something at your church or place of worship. Um, but just kind of keep your ears open and talk to people and say, you know, I'd really love to do this. Do you have any idea how I might get involved in that? Um, talk to mentors that you've had before, uh, professors, other students in your um programs, you know, they all have great ideas in terms of maybe things that they've done that you might like to try. Mm-hmm. Um, and the great thing about volunteering is you can try something and you're under no obligation. If you volunteer and you don't like it, then maybe that'll lead to something else. Okay, I know I don't want to do that. I know I don't want to be involved in that, but that might spark some joy in another area for you. So um, I definitely think that um, if you have an opportunity to go to any type of convention, whether it be a speech language and hearing convention or any type of convention, um, that's a great place to network and meet people and um, find people that share interests that you have. Uh, that's a great way to get started. What about speaking engagements? You've done a lot of that. What, I have. What, uh, what are some things that people can do if they want to get started with something like that? Um. If you work in an environment where um, professional development happens frequently, um, maybe start in terms of, hey, I'd like to take um, 20 minutes at our next staff meeting to talk about XYZ. Um, or could we plan for me in a couple of months to, you know, bring this as a topic, whatever that topic might be, um, you know, and start with like a 30 minute um, surrounded by people that you know, something that's very informal, um, something that you're confident about and that you want to speak to. And 
start there because that definitely builds your confidence. Um, when you go into administration, you're kind of thrown into that if you take yeah. that path. Um, nobody asks you if you want some training or no mm-hmm. one asks you if you might like to do some public speaking classes before you do that. They're just like, okay, you're on. This is yeah. what you do. Um, I don't recommend that necessarily um, unless you're really good at, at constructive criticism. Um, but I, I do think, you know, just in your, in your friend groups or, you know, maybe you're in a book club and you want to take that on. You want to take that position of authority at that one particular meeting and I want to lead the discussion. Anything that can give you confidence in front of other people. And it's always a great idea to start with people that you know well and that you know will be kind and, and uh, it definitely give you constructive criticism, you know, so that you can get better at that. But, um, I think we're all um, capable of doing public speaking. That's one of those areas like you spoke about earlier where I may never feel completely confident doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think it's something that is very, um, I think it can pump up your ego a little bit sometimes. I think Mm -hmm. it can be one of those things that's so scary that you don't really want to think about doing it. But once you've done it once or twice, you think that was great. I did great or that wasn't so great, but now I want to do it again because I want to perfect some of these things. Um, but start small. I think everything starts small and then grows into something much bigger. Um, and it may, whatever you're tackling, if it's public speaking, it may be something that you never want to do again. I did it once so I could prove to myself that I wanted to do it and I don't want to do it ever again. And that's okay. It's mm-hmm. all right if that's what the outcome of that is. Uh, but I think everybody owes it to themselves to try those types of things. Yeah, for sure. Public speaking is definitely, what is it? The Is that is that statistic true that people fear it more than death? I don't know. I feel well, like I've I, heard that before. I don't know if that's true. I, <laughs> I heard that a lot. And um, I can tell you that even in small groups, when I first started, I would get so nervous that I would think I would hyperventilate and fall over. Um, you know, I would sweat. I would just, it would just mm-hmm. be horrible. And then, um, and that was with very small groups, you know, and now I, I present to, you know, thousands of people at a time and it really, it still has the same effect on me for the first minute or two until I kind of get the lay of the land. Um, but I do believe that there were, there was a time or two when I first started doing it, I probably could have died. <laughs> I felt like I could anyway. It's, yeah. it's very overwhelming. It really it is. is overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I've done it a hand, you know, I I have taught college courses and then you at least get used to the group of people that you're presenting to. But I I agree. There's certain things that you might always get nervous, but maybe you get it to the point where you at least have the past experience of knowing that it was worth it and that you got through it. Right. And I did that. (laughs) I did that. Right. And there's so many things in our profession that require us to do that. I mean, if you want to go on and do your dissertation, I mean, you have Mm -hmm. to defend that. You have to talk in front of people. And it's just always something that if you're going to be a good communicator, I think you need to have that skill. So um, anytime you can practice, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. I think most most communities have, you know, Toastmasters or, you know, a lot of if you live in a decent sized community, there's things like that as well. Well, and and think about all that we do in terms of presentations to our patients or presentations Mm -hmm. to our patients' families or just going over evaluation information with a few people Mm -hmm. um, or if you work in a medical setting and you have to be on for rounds and you have to be able to speak to your patients' needs and challenges and, um, 
you really need to do that because I think if you're not confident in what you're saying in those types of situations, you may not be taken seriously. Um, So, so I think it's a skill we all need in this profession because there are so many opportunities that we have to speak up and that we have to talk in front of people that we might not know. Um, So I think it's a good skill to have, especially in this profession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted, uh, this is kind of a good place to wrap up. Um, So is there, where can people go to connect with you or learn more about where they can see your presentations? Well, I have um, presentations on speechpathology.com and I do a lot of um, school district um, presentations across the United States. So I might see you if you work in a school, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm working currently on um, a website for myself um, and I'm not technologically inclined, and so I've always been a little scared to do that. But several people have said recently to me, you need to get over it. That's one of my things that Uh I need to get over. Um, And so I'm working on a website that will come out shortly, but um, they can definitely find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on all social media platforms. Um, Yeah. Or just, uh, yeah, look me up on ASHA website or um, I live in Texas and I'm also um, on the Texas Speech Language and Hearing Association um, website because I do a lot of presentations for them too. So um, hopefully I can connect with a lot of people and you have given me an incentive to make sure that I get this website going. So yeah, so meeting you has given me confidence to do that. So thank you. You're welcome. And we will, in the show notes, link to all of those things. And if your website is not live, when the episode airs, I can always update it later. So I'll share all of your profiles and uh, some of the things that you've mentioned in the show notes so people can connect with you. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And you have been someone that I've I've admired and has, you have mentored me from afar and didn't even know. So um, I have appreciated all the information that you post and all of the great ideas that you have for working with students. So thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you to check the show notes for all of the links to the resources that were mentioned in this episode, including all of Marva's contact information and including the links to the Executive Functioning Implementation Guide that I mentioned earlier. We talked a lot in this interview about how you can go about communicating and advocating for your caseload, for the support that you need. But the Executive Functioning Guide is going to give you a specific initiative that you can focus on in order to make that happen. Again, to download that guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash EF schools. Before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you that I am always looking for amazing guests who have shown some type of leadership when it comes to supporting kids. This could be someone in a clinical role. It could be someone who is doing something great in their community. And I cannot emphasize enough that you do not need to have an official leadership role. It's not about your job title. It's about what you do and how you show up to support the students that you serve. So if you know someone who you think would be a great guest, please email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com 
Or if you would like to be a guest on the show, you can email me as well. And then finally, if you would like me to be a guest on your show or do a presentation for your organization, you can email me at that email address as well. Again, that's talk to me at drkarenspeech.com. For now, we will wrap up, but thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test, you can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE.